of a overseas vacation for a family of four. Wow. So not too bad. I not mean, bad. Yeah. I'm still a single dude, so <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now, you know, a lot of people are afraid that artificial intelligence may replace them, right? Hmm. Now, there's a big project in Taiwan that actually failed in terms oh. of artificial intelligence, and this is good for people who are afraid of losing their jobs. Hmm. 7-Eleven, I don't know if you heard, hmm. had this big store, this X store, an unmanned store is in Xingyi District. Okay, and right next to it, they have a normal one, normal 7-Eleven. And in the beginning, people would go into the X store, and it's very complicated how you get in. The facial recognition, you have to, like, you know, register yourself. And, but after a while, no, hardly anyone goes there. Everyone goes to the other one, even when there's a long line. What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? For Andy Kincart, Taiwan's tea is more than just a beverage. For around 30 years, it's been a calling. Andy's company, Ecocha, takes some of the best tea Taiwan has to offer and ships it to discerning customers around the world. Last week, Andy took us on a tour through the world of Taiwanese tea. But we haven't yet heard the story of Andy's journey into this world. This week, Andy's back to tell us about what sparked his love of tea. He'll also tell us about how tea and its perception have changed over the past three decades, both in Taiwan and abroad. Where did your personal interest in tea come from, and what made you decide to go into the world of tea professionally? Well, I first came to Taiwan in 1989, and basically by accident or sort of default, by visiting people in their homes, I was exposed to this tea culture, especially 30 years ago when tea was kind of in its heyday. People had a designated tea table, a tea brewing table in their house. And when you visited, especially as a foreign guest, I was invited to sit down and enjoy tea. So I got to enjoy a beverage that I've never experienced before. And it quite impressed me. I mean, I liked it very much right away. Mm -hmm. I thought it was delicious and amazing. And I appreciated how relaxed it was, but how special it was and how special the actual tea was. So I was immediately hooked, basically, or at least within a year or two. And I went back to Los Angeles in 1992 and lived there for a year. And even in Los Angeles, a big city with a big Chinatown, I couldn't find Taiwanese tea like I had come to already appreciate here. So it literally was a deciding factor in my decision to return to Taiwan. I came back in 1993. One of my missions on returning was to learn more about tea. And that's when I made a trip to Lugu, one of the biggest representing areas in Taiwan. And a friend, an American friend, introduced a representative at the Farmers Association. So I went to Lugu and it just happened that the Taiwanese friend that I was introduced to was making tea in their home on that day. And that was another level of being totally ensconced by this phenomenon. I mean, I walked into their home factory and the whole house was filled with this effervescent tea aroma coming from these oxidizing leaves. And I got to see how tea was made. Wow. And from that time on, I never stopped going back. You know, like I would ride a motorcycle up to tea country and buy a certain amount of tea, fill up my backpack, bring it back to share with my friends, foreigner friends living in Taiwan. 
I was pretty quickly given the nickname T. Andy, and it stuck. That was over 25 years ago. <laughs> I went back again to the States in 97. I registered a business and made what I believe to be the first website in English specifically representing Taiwan Oolong Tea. It was really just a hobby that allowed me to keep my connection alive when I was living in the States. And then it progressed to the point where I came back in 2005. By 2010, I decided to establish a more substantial brand. I, I did an MBA program here to kind of solidify my concept of a brand. And that is the current incarnation of EcoCha, right. which I've been working on with my partners here in Taiwan since 2013. And was it easy to get to know farmers and build up a sort of trusting relationship with them? I mean, how did you even go about contacting them? Fortunately, the first person I was introduced to worked for the Farmers Association in Oolong Tea Country, like the biggest tea producing area in Taiwan, you could say. But it basically just started with his home, and then we next factory we went to was his cousin. And then I would go to their factory. And yeah, I guess I just uninhibitedly rode around. And as you may know, in Taiwan, as a foreigner, we are welcomed very readily. And this it's very true. easy to... What I'm most interested in is representing the small, privately owned production of tea. And so if I see a farm that looks appealing, and it's not huge, and there's a factory in their home, that's the people I most like to meet. Mm. And uh, I would simply just walk up and say, do you have tea for sale? And nine times out of 10, they do. As your brand's name EcoCha suggests, there's a big focus on ecologically sustainable practices. What does that mean in the context of tea, though? The supporting of local small production, by definition, is sustainable on an environmental level because that level of tea production is using pre-developed land, land that was already developed in a residential community. They weren't going to undeveloped areas and clearing the land for tea production alone. There are significant amounts of high elevation areas that weren't developed prior. No one lives there. They're just agricultural projects. One of the products that you have one line is called eco-farmed tea. Uh, what does this mean and how do you encourage responsible tea growing practices? The name eco-farmed is simply a word that we use to represent tea that's sourced from organically certified tea farms. But we do not represent that certification on our product. Taiwan has, I've been told, the strictest organic standards in the world really? in terms of the labeling, using the certification. It is feasible, but to us, at this point at least, it doesn't really warrant our representation. Although it would give another level of reliability to the consumer, we're still kind of small-scale roots branding to say, you know what, we're not interested in being anything but 100% transparent. This tea comes from this farm. Here are the inspection reports, like the, the actual product getting chemically tested and showing zero chemical residue. We just are not going to be a part of the organic certification industry by putting that sticker on our label. So that's our way of representing organic tea production without going through the politics, so to speak, of representing the certification.
One thing that struck me that you mentioned earlier was how uh, 30 years ago, a lot of uh, these homes had tea brewing tables. Is that sort of home tea brewing something you still see? Okay. Uh, yeah, when I was referring to 30 years ago when I was first exposed to the culture, I hadn't been to tea farms or met anybody producing tea. It was in society at large, business people. Uh, that's how I first experienced it. It was businesses often combined with a, a sort of social meeting or at least a conducive atmosphere for people to feel more comfortable. Tea was uh, a healthy and non-alcoholic form of having a business meeting, but having something social go on mm -hmm. at the same time. That, I believe, still exists, although I think it was kind of a hot trend, maybe a new trend with the actual quality of living going up very quickly in Taiwan during the 1980s and 90s. Since then, people continue to brew tea. Taiwanese people say that now people just drink iced tea or bottled drinks. But I think the people that like to drink tea are still doing it in that way. And in many households, they have their tea sets and they use them regularly. In terms of the tea farmers or the people that are in these art of tea clubs, they have put a lot of effort and done a lot in developing their own tea culture. Like I said, it's a modern renaissance culture embodying their classic traditions and some of their spiritual traditions, but it's definitely making it their own, and that's one of their basic tenets. It's been a new development, and I, I feel like the art of tea has really become much more popular than ever in the last 20 years. After many years of representing Taiwan's tea abroad, how well would you say that Taiwan's tea and tea culture are known overseas, especially when compared with some of our Asian neighbors? It's hard for me to say because I'm here, <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure exactly how people perceive Taiwan or how much it's recognized. I know that Taiwan is recognized for producing some of the best quality tea in the world. Particularly if people are into oolongs, they know about Taiwanese tea. Mm. I think tea from mainland China and tea from Japan are probably more widely recognized in Western cultures. But the people that are exploring the worlds of tea have experienced Taiwan tea, I would say, for the most part. In Taiwan, every cup of tea is a rewarding adventure. And whatever your cup of tea may be, light and delicate or rich and flavorful, you're certain to find it here. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Listen! Are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Stroke of Light, a portrait of Taiwan through the eyes of painters, sculptors, filmmakers, and photographers. Hello, and welcome back to Stroke of Light. I'm Jake Chen. We are heading into a new art exhibition this week, and we're also back in what I consider is familiar or rather traditional territory. We're going to be looking at a group of oil paintings by a local painter, Xie Hongjun, and she's brought us her latest series of paintings, which is titled Appearances Under Erasure. A little bit of history first. Miss She is one of the most respected oil painters of her generation here in Taiwan. In fact, several artists that I have interviewed in the past 
were students of hers. Born in the early 1960s, she received her Bachelor of Arts degree from the National Taiwan Normal University in 1984. She then went on to continue her study in New York, where she eventually obtained a Doctor of Arts degree in the New York University. She now lives in Shinju in northern Taiwan, while she also teaches painting at a local university. Her paintings have been collected by museums in Taiwan and abroad. All these academic credentials, the praises and the accolades from students and peers are indeed impressive. But honestly, in my experience, they rarely come close in telling a complete story of an artist. In fact, they feel more like feathers on one's cap. What's in the artist's mind and what she's able to convey is the definitive portion. And in that department, Ms. Chia certainly does not disappoint. When I walked into the exhibition hall at the Mindset Art Center in Taipei City, I was taken by the oil paintings on the wall. Now, the sensation that I get from looking at them is quite different from the usual first impressions that I got when looking at other works. In the past, I have seen many paintings of distant forests and seascapes that are soothing. I've seen paintings of room interiors that reflect the inner thinking and struggles of an artist. And I've also seen paintings that are downright shocking and provocative because of the subject matters that they tackle. But very few paintings get me to ponder about the relations between the different objects and their meanings. And that's where Xie's work stands out. The one painting that immediately grasped my attention isn't the one with the biggest frame or the most saturated colors. The painting is titled Conductor's Utility Knife. And as far as aesthetics is concerned, it's rather subdued. It is an oil painting in a vertical, portrait-oriented frame. Several layers of fur is painted, and they seem to be intertwining and overlapping with one another. And it's not just on the layers level. When I move closer to the painting's surface, I can see that the countless strands of fiber are intertwined, as if they are almost melting into each other, in this mild, barely visible line in between. Adding to the soft, interlacing texture of the painting is a knife that sticks in from outside the frame. It is a thin, gray, metallic blade of which the tip barely touches the fiber. In fact, despite the canvas being two-dimensional, the blade looks like it's hovering above the frame like something's coming out of it. In the exhibition's promotional literature, she states that the inspiration behind the painting comes from the repetitive, labor-intensive, and sometimes downright grueling process of making paintings. See, I'm sure a lot of us have the experience that in order to make a decent oil painting, an artist not only needs to know how to paint, he or she very often has to physically manipulate the thick, sticky paints with different tools in order to create that ideal mix of color and texture. And one of the frequently used tools is a knife. It allows the artist to scratch off bits of paint from the canvas. I think what Xie has captured in her painting is the moment right before her knife reaches the canvas. 
the moment it's rich in significance, as it shows that the invisible and all-powerful hand of the artist is about to use this knife and reshape a mixture of paint. And as the moment is frozen in time, on ironically a finished oil painting, the possibilities are endless in our imagination. In the following weeks, we will be exploring more of the paintings and thoughts behind the work by Ms. Xie Hongjun. I'm Jake Chen, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. Together already, it's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, hello, hello! Welcome to Feast Meets West, and this is Ellen Chu, and this is Andrew Ryan. How are you doing today, Ellen Chu? I'm doing just fine. That is good. Mm-hmm. We are wrapping up our vegetarian month here on Feast Meets West. Really? Yes. We're at the end of the month already. I don't know if people even noticed that all of our shows this month were vegetarian, as we do every year. Oh, yeah. Oh. I've just noticed now. <laughs> and we're going to finish with one of the meatiest tasting vegetarian options we ever had on our show. That's right. Wow. A vegan burger. I think it's one of the hardest things to do vegan. Yes, because no, if you truly want to be vegan, it would be easy. But if you're a meaty person, <laughs> it would be very difficult for you to accept anything that is vegan. Yeah, like, I mean, if you have like bean burgers, I think that true carnivores turn their noses up at like a bean burger or something like that. My son would. And if you have just like vegetable patty Mm -hmm. or, you know, just vegetable over pizza or just anything without any meat sauce in there, Mm -hmm. they just feel that they haven't had enough during that full. Right. That sitting. Mm. Like my son would say, why isn't there any meat? Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. wow. He's a good eater. That yeah, Ryan. he's a yeah. good eater. But, you know, I would, you know, try to feed him some vegetables once mm. in a while and try to pretend that he can be a vegan for a day. <laughs> and it doesn't go out so well. No. Um, and that is that is actually proven because, uh, remember, we we're setting up the school lunch. Mm-hmm. And we were actually uh, bundled with the Euro school. So uh-huh. every month they have two days. That is like all just vegetable. Uh-huh. No meat. No meat days, Okay, yeah. it's just like vegan day. But whenever we hit those days, I get these complaint letters and, you know, <laughs> threat calls from parents, you know, saying that, where is the meat? We pay for meat. 
And what do you say? How do you respond to that? I said that, you know, uh, because we're bundled with the Euro school and the Euro, Euro school parents are very, you know, careful and meticulous with the students' diet. Mm. So every month they try to tie in two vegan day for kids to, you know, clear out their system, to mm. detox a little bit. Mm. Yeah, we don't care. We want meat. Mm. Wow. <laughs> so every single time you have a vegan day, they call. Right, so this year we don't have a vegan day. Oh, wow, wow. That's, yeah. that's sad, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's sad for me, you know. I just tell my kids, you know, it's good. You know, just eat vegetable on that day. Yeah. If you want meat, you have it at dinner. Yeah. See, I don't know. The way I eat, I don't even think I would notice if I had a day where I didn't eat any meat. I would just, it wouldn't even occur to me that I missed meat that day. Me too. It's like yesterday I went to dinner with my friends and with my kids and they order like meat, but lots of vegetables. So, mm. you know, I, I noticed that I only ate the vegetable dish mm. with my rice yeah. and no other meat that I touched. It's good. Right? It's good for the planet. It's good for your body. So, you know, I think I can live without meat. I think I could too. Right. Well, today we're going to be living with some fake meat. <laughs> you know, I am quite against fake, but this one, <laughs> I might be able to take it. You know, that Ellen Chu, she's all real. I'm all real. 100% authentic. 100%. Okay. No fake things for me. She's 100% Ellen Chu. Right. Are no. you fake? Not at Are all. Are you fake, Andrew, today? Sometimes I I fake it until I make it, but that's about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So, shall we check out what's on our menu today? Definitely. Let's check it out. In our first course, we'll tell you all about the current two-week micro-season with a name that reminds us of meat. <laughs> wow. I know. In our second course, we're going to sample one of the hottest new meatless burgers available in Taiwan and actually around the world. Wow. And third and final course, we're going to find out what it's made of, okay? So we're going to let you know the secret. Do you think we found the meat of the future? So join us on this journey to answer that question. All righty. We're going to start off with a song called Bai Yi Chiro. Chiro. Okay. <laughs> meat Free Monday. It's a song in Hakka. Oh. Mm. And it's by Dong Dong and Kao Chou Chin. Much more to come when the feast continues. First course. 
Okay, so first course, Shuangjiang. Okay, this coming Monday, it's October twenty third. Descending dew. You said it reminds us of. Actually, me? this is the last Monday. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so this um this yeah Shuangjiang Niuro. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is so Shuangjiang sounds like descending dew, right? Or like. Uh, no, sorry, frost. It it's be frost. frost. So basically, you know, when we say the meat has more of the fatty, mm-hmm. so covering. Mm-hmm. So basically, those are called shuangjiang niu rou. It looks like it's covered in frost. Right. So actually, it's like marbled beef. Right. Yeah. So that's why I think of meat. Maybe you don't. <laughs> well, definitely. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally surprised, but it's a good one, okay? Okay. So, what do we know about this season? The this weather is, is getting colder, of course. Yes, and it is the final two-week micro season of autumn, which means winter is just around the corner. Of course, we should remind people that on the uh, Chinese Farmer's Almanac, mm-hmm. the seasons come a little bit earlier. So, we're not mm-hmm. actually in the real physical winter. That's just in the Chinese Farmer's Almanac. Right. Yeah. So, uh, this is a time of the year when not only is it getting colder, we're also getting windier. Mm. Um, Taiwan, of course, is an island in the Pacific Ocean. So, instead of getting super cold, we get super windy. Mm-hmm. And we have what's called the Feng, so the nine descending winds of Xinju in northern Taiwan. Mm. Um, which is actually really useful. The winds of Xinju are very important when it comes to things like creating like rice noodles because mm-hmm. they have to be dried in the wind. Yes. And also creating the dried persimmons, which you love so much, Ellen Chu. <laughs> I would just die for it, okay? Uh-huh. But I would just die first. Are you sure it's like not because of it? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically there are a lot of types of fruits, mm-hmm. vegetable, and fishes. Mm. Okay. What kinds of things do we have at this time of the year? Wow, We've got these are very rare. Bell peppers. And we have shan yao. Chinese mountain yams. Yes, and wan dou peas. Mm-hmm. Jiao bai sun. I, I guess like snow peas, right? Yes, yeah, snow peas, you're right. Plum. Mmm, yummy. And shi zi persimmon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like mustard green. That's right. Right. Yu tou. Taro. Wen dan yu. So these are a special kind of pomelos and mm-hmm. pears. And pears. And also tangerines are nice this time of the year. Right, lizi. Mm. So we have chestnuts. Yes, soon yeah. to be roasting on an open fire, Ellen Yes, Joe. definitely. And we have kind of fish, is swordfish, chiyu. Mm-hmm. And then we have like wenha, which is kind of like a... Shellfish. You're on like, your own here, Ellen Chu. I don't know any of these. Muli <laughs> is clams. 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 Okay, and we have diao yu. Mm-hmm, <laughs> we do. Bai dai yu. They're mm-hmm. long, long fish. With white on it. Yeah, silvery, silvery <laughs> fish. <laughs> so anyway, we can describe our fishes, but not really translate them. That's right. This is one weakness of mine. Yes. <laughs> fishes. We are very strong on land. Yes. But, you know, under the ocean? Not so much. We need to find Little Mermaid. That's right. All right. 
We're going to go into another song now. <laughs> And this is called Do Fong is to go riding, go for a ride in the breeze. It's by Li Deyun Pumpkin. And of course, this is the breezy song that goes with the nine descending winds. Let's have okay. a listen. When we return in our second course, we're going to be sampling some fake meat in the studio. All right. <laughs> I'm ready for the fake. Me too. Okay. 站在窗前蒙蒙的天空心情正寂寞乘着风在城市的斜挂里穿梭Listening to Feast Meets West. Second course. Okay, Ellen Chu. All right. I see this chopped up burger, sliced up burger, sitting right in front of me. That is right. I have sliced a Beyond burger in half. One mm -hmm. half for Ellen Chu, one half for me. And the only beyond I know is, you know, bath, bed, and beyond. <laughs> and now I'm going to introduce you to a Beyond Burger. Do you want to just talk about what it looks like and what it smells like? Does it look like meat? It, it looks like meat. Mm -hmm. And it smells like a burger. Does it, sm does it smell meaty? Get, a, get, get your nose down in there and tell me what it smells like. It smells like a meat. It does smell like meat, doesn't right. it? It does. Maybe they give us the wrong one by mistake. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, you have always wanted to try this. You were telling me just a moment ago, but you... So, they have this in Moe's Burger? Have it in Moss Burger. They have it in Fridays. They have it... They're starting to roll it out in different oh, uh, chain restaurants. Oh, I didn't know restaurants. they have it in Moe's Burger. Yeah. It, it smells just like their normal, like, you know, cheese and... Um, Meat sauce mm -hmm. burger. You were saying you wanted to try this, but your family wouldn't join you. Yeah, because they're all saying that, you know, it's vegetarian. Oh, so they're not happy. They want their meat. Right. They want their meat. I said, well, you know, I heard it tastes like meat. And they're just like, no, it's veggie. So you're in a family of carnivores. All right. Uh -huh. Well, this is going to be the test of... So we're going to eat it now? Yeah. Go ahead and like bite, give it a big bite. They okay, say like wow. it's best to eat it as soon as it comes off the grill. Oh. Right. And it's already had to have been transported by scooter mm -hmm. through Taipei City. So it's about 15 minutes out already. It tastes like grilled meat to me. Mm. Right? Oh, wow. It tastes like charcoal grilled burger. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It definitely has like a grilled taste to it. And then it has all the texture. It's it looks, dripping. It's like juicy. Like it's kind of got bl the blood in it. <laughs> it's got the little like little, blood. It's like ground beef. It's got the little grains of meat in it. Mm-hmm. Visually, it looks very much like it too. You know what I think you should do, Ellen? What? I think you need to buy it for your family. Uh huh. And don't tell them it's a Beyond Burger. 
to say I got burgers uh-huh. and see if anyone notices. Mm. See if you can fool them. I think I should do that, huh? I think you should kids. do that. Okay. Mm. Mm. So is this supposed to be more healthy than like normal burger? That's the thing, right? Okay. They say that there's three reasons why you should eat this burger. I'm not sure about all three of them, but I do know that it is definitely better for animals. Mm-hmm. Duh. Because mm-hmm. there are no animals harmed in this process. It's mm-hmm. totally vegan. And they we know that it's better for the environment because, you know, cows produce methane gas, mm-hmm. which or methane gas, which right. I guess is uh, bad for the, you know, ozone layer. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it means that we're not um, feeding our cows feed, mm-hmm. like, like grass and mm-hmm. grains and stuff like that. So we don't have to waste the land on growing those grains and grasses, they go right into the burger rather than into the meat that goes into the burger. Exactly. So, you know, nowadays we're not eating meat because of the environmental issue, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, in the old ancient Chinese, when people say that you shouldn't eat cows, Mm -hmm. especially Neil, I think there's a reason. It's not superstitious, but it affects the environment. Well, I thought it was because it's a work animal, so you don't want to like... Pay back your work animal by eating it. Exactly. But, you know, I think, you know, there's more more knowledge behind that than mm. just that. Because there are so many other animals that's working for us, but we still eat them. Mm, that's right? true. That is true. Chicken produces egg for us. Mm-hmm. They still eat them. That's right. We right? eat the chickens and the eggs. Uh-huh. So are you are you convinced by this? Do you think it would fool meat lovers? Would they be satisfied by this burger? I think so. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it has enough protein in it. It's plant protein, but it's enough protein to make it kind of give the appearance of meat. And it has the protein value, the nutritious value. It does. It actually has a lot of uh, nutrients in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that some of these are made from soy. We're going to tell you in just a moment in our third course what this one is made but out of. But somehow I feel that the patty itself tastes more salty. Is it? Yeah. And also the patty itself has more tomato flavor to it. The patty itself, well, there was a tomato on this burger. We should explain but, this burger had tomato, lettuce, cheese. I took the cheese. tomato out. You did? Well, I think that it probably went into it, no? Mm-hmm. Are you not a fan of tomatoes, Alan? I Alan like Chu? it. It just fell out. Oh, it fell out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think the next step is to do the taste test on your family mm-hmm. and see whether or not they will know that it's not meat. I think we should do it on Ryan Howe. Ryan Howe, your son is a big beef eater. Mm-hmm. He likes his burgers. Mm-hmm. So just tell them it's a burger. Don't tell them anything else. Mm-hmm. And like, don't look like suspicious. <laughs> exactly. He's like, what's up? Why are you looking at me while I'm eating my hamburger? Does the package say it's Beyond Burger? Let me have a little look and see what the package says. Because they can read now, you know. I know. <laughs> ah, what a shame. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't say, it says Mosa Hamba. It doesn't say anything oh, okay. about what's inside it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mm. think that's brilliant. I think it's smart marketing strategy. They don't play so it up, too. right? Mm-hmm. I do feel it's more salty, though. Yeah, maybe. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's um, part of the patty itself or part of the preparation. It's hard yeah. to tell because we didn't cook it patty. ourselves. Because I, I eat Moe's Burger. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, normally Moe's Burger don't taste this heavy, you know, salted or, you know, mm. the salted flavor. Mm. Right. So this song is called What Now? 
What kind of meat is this? <laughs> this is by Dongding Yuetuan. We'll have all the answers when we return in just a moment. Okay. Okay, so in our last course, if you were just joining us, we just ate a vegan burger. Right. This one was a Beyond Burger, but it's by no means the only kind of vegan burger. There's also Impossible uh, Burgers. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and a lot of actually a lot of meat companies are starting to make burgers so that are vegan. Weren't they saying that Beyond Meat is actually like you know one of the projects that Bill Gates? Oh, I don't know. Is it connected to him? Yeah, I think he was one of like you know the person who invested in this. Well, I do know that um, it actually, as soon as it went public, um, they sold a ton of shares and it reached its one billion plus dollar unicorn valuation. They say whenever a company surpasses the mil- billion dollar mark, it's a unicorn because it's so rare. Really, unicorn? Huh? Yeah, but it's interesting though because they haven't started making any money. So it's mm-hmm. amazing that the company is worth that much, even though it's not really making that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what goes into this burger, Ellen Chu? I don't know. You tell me. It tastes like a meat, and you tell me it's not meat. <laughs> well, the uh, CEO of Beyond Meat is Ethan Brown, and he told Business Insider, "quote It's essentially these five things: it's amino acids, lipids." trace minerals, trace vitamins, and water. None of those are exclusively the animal. They all are present in the plant kingdom as well. Mm. Interesting. I guess yeah. I didn't realize that plant proteins were so proteiny. Right, because usually <laughs> the plant proteins are more flat, mm-hmm. as you say it. But, mm-hmm. you know, the meat protein used to be more fuller and rounder and juicier. I guess, mm-hmm. yeah. So the main things are, like, if you look at things that are more than 2% of the burger, there's mm-hmm. four things. There's water, pea protein isolate, mm-hmm. expeller pressed canola oil, and refined coconut oil. Well, I think the thickness comes from the coconut oil. Must be, right? right? The fattiness comes mm-hmm. from that for sure. The Beyond Burger also contains 2% or less of the cellulose from bamboo. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Methocellulose. And potato starch, natural flavor, maltodextrin, mm-hmm. and yeast extract, salt. Aha, there is salt wow. in there. Wow, uh. sunflower oil, vegetable, glycerin, mm-hmm. dried yeast, 
Gum Arabic. Wow, what's <laughs> I that? No, I don't know what a lot of these things are. Yeah, citrus ex- extract. That's to protect the quality. Citrus and extract. Mm-hmm. Asorbic acid to maintain That's, the color. Mm-hmm. And oh. then other things for color include beet juice That's extract. That's why you had the bloody look. Yeah. Right? <laughs> also, anato skimming out of the bottom is also for color. And then three other things, acetic acid, succinic acid, and modified food starch. Hmm. So... Now, the CEOs... You know, this is the kind of thing that when they give you the recipe, you're like, and? How do you make it? Yeah. Right? Normally, you know, if you break down a food, mm-hmm. and then you can actually figure out, you know, with the ingredient, yeah. how to make it. But, you know, giving out all these lists of, you know, things that they put here as their, you know, recipe, you, what? Have you ever watched The Great British Baking Show or The Great British Bake Off? Basically, yeah. they give the, um, the the bakers, they give mm-hmm. them a list of the ingredients, but they don't tell them how to assemble it. And so you have to just rely on your knowledge of baking. Right. But with this, who knows how it's they make like it? It's like you give them all the ingredients, just like, end. You stick and? it in, you put it in a particle accelerator. Right. <laughs> exactly. And then what? <laughs> I mean, what kind of tools you need in your kitchen to produce this? I think that's why they're not worried about people knowing all the things that are in their Right, their so they can patties. tell you everything. It's, uh. it's what kind of, like, you know, machine they're using. It's mm. probably not even cheap, okay? So the CEO says the recipe is not set in stone because Beyond Meat is continuing to innovate and improve its products. Ultimately, they want to create the perfect replication of meat products. Right now, uh, the CEO says the company is about 70% of the way there. I think they're closer than that. You know, this is the strangest thing that people don't want to eat meat, but mm-hmm. they want to see it in a meat form. Yeah. You know, this is the question I always have, especially, you know, in Chinese Buddhism, people don't eat meat. They're vegetarians, mm-hmm. right? But these monks... You know, I see them walking around, like, eating, like, soup, like, vegetarian beef jerky. Yes. They call it vegetarian beef jerky. I'm or, just like, why would you just call it, like, a mushroom jerky or something, or yeah. dried mushroom? That's but, actually one of the complaints, is, like, some people who are really vegans, who are really opposed to the eating of animals, mm-hmm. they are can be grossed out by this because they think it's too realistic. Right. It's like... You know, it, you don't want it in a beef form, right? No. You like the vegetable part. Yeah. So. Do you know what I think it is? I what? think it's a gateway drug for vegetarianism. So it's like, it's that drug that like gets you in there, right? Uh-huh. It's sort of like you try a little bit of it and then all of a sudden you become, you know, it's for, it's, it's really for, for people who eat meat. To be right, honest, this right. is not for true So, it's just like my son, Ryan, that he doesn't like vegetable at all. Mm. And then you feed him in this format. Maybe he'll try vegetable. Yeah. Right? Yep. Absolutely. Hmm. Okay. But I think if you know how to cook properly and, like, you know how to appreciate food, you don't necessarily need a Beyond Burger. Right. Or if you've lived vegetarian so for a long time. So, that's why yeah. I think they're not making money. Because this is a fabulous concept. But mm-hmm. at the end, you know, it's people are not like everyday vegans, right? I, I actually think it will make money eventually. Really? Yeah, for sure. Because eventually the the population of the planet is going to become too large. We do already have food scarcity problems. Mm-hmm. So this could actually solve some of the problems that we have. But are with, we going to have enough like 
plants. Well, that's the thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think also, is it like, when is it going to become cheaper? It's an economies of scale thing. So like you right. have to make a ton of it. You have exactly. to have a lot of people eat it. And then you start to make money. Right. Because On a small scale, this is not I don't sustainable. Think, I think this is still a small market, right? Mm. But okay. actually, it's a, it is actually a huge growth market. So all of the meat companies like Hormel and like Nestle and whatnot, mm -hmm. they're actually starting to invest in their own versions of fake meat because... Ooh. They actually, one of them, one of the companies. Fake meat. Yeah, fake meat. <laughs> meat <Okay>. substitute. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't sound appetizing. <laughs> I do like the names though. Beyond Burgers and yeah, like. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's a very catchy name and mm. it, it triggers people want to go and try it. Mm. Beyond Burger, right? So would you eat another one? I would. Mm. I think actually I would because I'm a type of person who doesn't like meat that much. Mm. So when I go to, say, Moe's Burger, I order fish burger mm. instead of like beef burger. But you actually, are, you find meat palatable enough to not be grossed out by this. Like you don't find this fake meat to be disgusting. No, because I'm not like one of those like vegetarian, vegetarian. I just don't like to eat beef. A lot of it, yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like ever since I was a child, I didn't like to eat beef. Actually, I think you and I are probably the target market. Really? Mm. Mm. I didn't like meat as a kid either. Yeah, so mm. I think we're it. We are it, folks. We are it. Yes. Okay. So that's our look at vegan meat today. Okay, so we gave you the ingredients. Try mm -hmm. putting them together. <laughs> and, you know, start your own burger patty. Yeah, see if you can do it. If, you, if you're successful, let us know. All right. Get right to us. How about uh -huh. that? Yeah. Our address is... P.O. Box 123. One, two, three, <laughs> dash one, and I don't try to take away my job. You paused, man. Taiwan. You paused. Hey, email us at androo at rti.org.tw. Mm -hmm, that's right. Next okay. Saturday in the Feast. Join us for a show that might bug you. <laughs> All right. We're going to be sampling something that could be the answer to global problems like food security, environmental concerns, and world hunger. What is it? Bugs. That's right, Ellen Chu. You okay. looking forward to that? No. <laughs> All right. But we do have one final song that mm -hmm. we'd like to share with everyone is My Future Is Not a Dream. Well, the way life is And mm. this is by Su Da Lu and Apei Yue Tuan. That's right. Soda Green and Apei. We'll see you next week for Feast Yourself. I'm Andrew Ryan. And this is Ellen Chu. Bye-bye. <laughs> 这汗水默默辛苦的工作一次一次徘徊在十字街头
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Music